Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? You know, I have a new format for the podcast. Um, We don't talk about anything. We don't have any analysis. We don't make any predictions. All we do is just read box scores because it's the only way that we won't be like totally completely wrong every time that we record and and a week of real NBA time passes through by. (laughs) I know it's uh, we've had a lot of hot takes that get shot out of the sky immediately. But um, I think the direct quote from one of us last week was I'm not even considering the Nuggets as part of the playoffs anymore. Uh, I was already packing Michael Porter Jr.'s bags and Yeah, all we do from now on is we just say Jamal Murray went 6 of 14 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3, and then just that's it. That's the podcast. You can't be wrong. You can't be wrong when you're reading pure stats. Fact-based. But listen, before we go anywhere else, you texted me yesterday and you said, look, I have an epic rant. I'm ready to unleash on the podcast, so I can't wait till we record tomorrow. So I'm going to give you the floor. I already have a very good sense of where this is headed, but let's hear it. All right. So first, before before we dive into that, first, I want to remind our listeners, um, or actually, why don't you remind them, Nathan, who did you say was the best player in the league um, as recently as maybe two weeks ago? Davis Bertans. Okay, who was in number two after him? Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard. And then there's another time I remember uh, when I specifically said LeBron was the best and you chuckled. You just outright dismissed what I was talking about because it was crazy, this notion that LeBron was still the best player. And we've, we've talked about this several times during the season. So please explain to me first, what happened with your, the best player in the league? What, what happened to Kawhi there at the end of that series? He had a bad game. Um, he played really well, basically, throughout the Mavericks series and for most of the Nuggets series. He had a bad game and unfortunately the guy he tied his fortunes to always has bad games in these moments and so (laughs) in the one time the Kawhi was not playing up to snuff he couldn't even he couldn't even count on his alleged all-nba all-star teammate to bail him out and I'm gonna preempt what you're about to say of like if LeBron did what Kawhi did, we would never hear the end of it for centuries and centuries. And that is true. But what we have to remember is LeBron is being held to GOAT standards. In today's day and age, in today's world, in 2020, is it fe- possible that Kawhi Leonard is better than LeBron James? Yes, I think so. In fact, I would still say that he is. Because I think one quarter, one half of basketball even in a series that he played really well in, in a playoffs that he played really well in, doesn't change his his resume. And ultimately, the Clippers had a lot of problems, and I'm going to say Kawhi Leonard was not in the top five. Okay, so perfect. I'm glad I'm glad you brought this up because there's this. First of all, he gets compared to Jordan quite often because of it's his play style, right? Play style. And it's his yeah. ruthless kind of killer instinct that comes through and. You know, we've talked about this. You talk about him being, you know, his hierarchy being pretty high or him being pretty high in the hierarchy of NBA players at the end of the day because of his postseason performances, right? Mm -hmm. Regular season, he doesn't have he doesn't have an MVP, but you've always talked about his postseason performances. So let me let me uh, go back and let's talk about Kawhi's career a little bit. Okay, so I'm going to take you on a little journey. 
Let's go to 2013. This sounds too well researched for what I can This is 2013, and Kawhi, um, they go up against the Heat. Now, of course, that's when Ray Allen has the crazy game. Um, People forget Kawhi missed those free throws, or the free throw that led to that. Fair. He's a young guy. You can't hold that against him, all right? Um, The next year, the Spurs win the championship. Kawhi gets the finals MVP. This is where you start talking about him as this dominant postseason player. What did Kawhi average that entire postseason? 14-7-1 on 60% true shooting percentage. Okay, That's he was good. surrounded by a lot of great players, but he played great in the finals. How much did he, How many points did he average in the finals? 17.8. Okay, but he must have led that Spurs team. No, Tony Parker led that team in scoring. He wasn't even the highest scoring player in the finals. Did he play great defense? Absolutely. Did he do all the little things? Absolutely. But we talk about him as if that finals MVP was some crowning achievement. No, that was a great Spurs team. Um, and he was just as integral as Tim Duncan or Tony Parker. Now, let's talk about the next season, 2015. They're defending their crown. The Spurs stumble a little bit in the regular season. They're the sixth seed, and they go into uh, the first round playing the Los Angeles Clippers. Kawhi dominating the first four games, averaging 25 points, 70% true shooting percentage, and the series is tied 2-2. The Spurs are favored over the next three games. Kawhi scores 13 points a game on 39% true shooting percentage. Chokes. They were favored in every single one of those games. They end up losing that series to the Clippers in seven. Defending champs. Kawhi doesn't come through. They lose. Okay, well, uh, how about 2016? Kawhi takes his game to another level. He actually finishes second in MVP voting, wins Defensive Player of the Year, This is when the narrative around Kawhi being an elite player really starts to emerge. And that team, as you remember, is is really good. Now, Western Conference semifinals, they go up against the Thunder. They were a favorite going into that series. They're up 2-1 on the Thunder. What happens? They drop the last three to KD's Thunder. How does Kawhi perform on that? 23 points per game, but on 49% true shooting. 49%. So... This elite, efficient, offensive killer is not performing like that in the postseason. Now, okay, 2017, he gets injured. We give him a pass for that. Wait, I'm going to make one comment. Uh, I'm taking all the hits right now. 2017, he didn't just get injured. He was taken out by a hitman. He was. He was. And Zazan Pachulia, possibly. And by the way, they were up like 20-plus in that game one. In game one. In San Antonio. Um, against the Warriors in KD's first year. Could that have changed the outcome? We'll never know, but they looked pretty damn good at that point. Anyway, continue. I, I like this. You know, I like going down in his, history. You yeah, know, walk, no, look. He, the, they walk to remember. It was, it was game one. Yes, they were up 20, but you that, that Warriors team was dominant. Who knows how that series would have played. Then he gets injured, all the hoopla. Obviously, he goes to Toronto. Toronto, look, I'll give him credit, but we forget how good of a team. I mean, that Toronto team, close to making the Eastern Conference Finals, this close, without Kawhi Leonard. So it's he, they had a pretty high floor. He just put them over the top. So now we bring it to this series. You said he had a, one bad game against the Denver Nuggets. Okay, let's not forget that they had a 16-point lead, a 19-point lead, and a 12-point lead in those last three games. How does Kawhi do in those last three games? He shot 6 of 19 across, uh, I think, game 4, 5, 6. 
and then six for 22 in game seven. I might have my notes a little bit messed up. But he started underperformed, or sorry, six for 19 in the fourth quarter. Of yeah, I was going to say, game. yeah. So when it came, when, when the, you know, chips were at stake, when the, uh, it came to actually holding that lead, protecting that lead and closing out games, he didn't get it done. And he had three chances to do so. So all this to say, this narrative around Kawhi being the best player, a player who's never won an MVP in the regular season, a player who won one finals MVP on a loaded Spurs team, and he didn't even lead that team in scoring, and one finals MVP very well deserved on the Raptors, that player cannot be the best player in the game. And it's laughable, and it is embarrassing, and one of the biggest choke jobs in NBA history that he just pulled. And you can talk about Heat in, against the Mavericks in 2011. Well, you know what? The Heat actually were in the finals that year. The Heat actually, you know, LeBron choked fair, but they never had such a commanding lead in so many games and just gave it all up. And so I'd never want to hear Kawhi Leonard mentioned in the same breath as LeBron for the next three, four, five years until he wins at least three more rings. I, the only thing I could say is there's nothing to say, right? Any d- defender of Kawhi as the best player in the league has to go home, including myself. Because if you were the best player in the league, you cannot lose that series. You could lose to the Lakers, like had they made the conference finals, and those are two very even teams or two teams that have been at the top of the conference the whole year. They could have lost that series and Kawhi could have still retained that throne. You cannot be up 3-1, lose 15 plus point leads in game five, six, and seven, and then somehow still hold, hold face. Or save face, hold serve. I don't know what I'm saying. Save yep. face. It is, it is not. Uh, you mentioned the Mavericks and and the Heat series. This is far bigger of a choke job, um, for a couple reasons. The first is, in either case, Miami versus Dallas and um, Clippers versus Nuggets. It's the first year of this like super team, right? So you can't really say one team had more continuity than the other. They were kind of both going through, but. Having the 3-1 lead against a team that doesn't have a bonafide star like Dirk yet, you could argue Jokic is a future MVP guy, but he hasn't been that yet. Murray hasn't been that yet by any stretch for Murray. And you let Paul Millsap beat you is really embarrassing. I I don't even have anything to say. I was, I'm legitimately so shell-shocked as they lost game five on Friday and then game six on Sunday. I was still like, this team is such a fucking bunch of like arrogant assholes, but they're going to pull it out. Yep. And you know, what's interesting. You could argue Kawhi got tired. I don't want to hear that shit. He barely played the season. (laughs) They had a five month break. There's no world in which he could possibly be tired under any normal NBA circumstances. But what's really crazy. And I think I want to get into this view because by the way, this was your, presumptive title favorite all year i was wrong yeah i picked them how many of those guys one thing we never ever spent enough time thinking about we just said Kawhi is a champion he's got it all of those dudes were scared of the moment nobody knew what the fuck to do the hot potato going around between marcus morris paul george lou williams mantras none of these guys are worth a damn when it comes to when you know there's when it's nut crunch time there's two minutes left Give me a lot of dudes in the league over everyone on the Clippers sans Kawhi. Now, I think what you mentioned with the first MVP is so true because we've created a, a, 
memory of that first MVP because of the second one. You know, if Kawhi never really went and become became a star, we would remember it the way we remember Andre Iguodala's, yeah. a really, really good role player who played a very pivotal role in that given series and therefore had the MVP. Whether you, you know, want to argue it should have been Parker or Duncan, whatever. But because he went and became the player that he became, we we kind of retroactively changed our memory of what 2013 looked like or t- 2014 looked like. Yep. And you're right. The, the, the resume is not there. But I think I think one thing you have to take into account when we say best player in the game today, it's not whose basketball pr- reference page looks the tightest. Right. Because that's not really the point. Obviously, LeBron and then Steph Durant, those guys are always going to be Russell Westbrook. Those guys are always going to be at the top just by sheer volume. I'm saying in a given day, that particular game. There's a lot of reasons to still say Kawhi was the best. When you talk defensively, when you talk his ability to score, like you mentioned the Jordan playing at your own speed, when you talked about his improved playmaking, even in this playoffs, he averaged five and a half assists a game. And I think, yes, we all look like morons right now, but the logic to get there, I don't think was crazy. No, and I mean, look, I picked the Clippers to win, and let's let's talk about why, you know, Dan ultimately failed. The last thing I want to say about Kawhi is the thing that propped him up, like you're right, it has nothing to do with your basketball reference page. But what propped him up in people's minds as being potentially the best player is that in the postseason, this guy was dominant. Um, and I think part of that is we, we forget, like you said, at 2014, the actual role he played on that team. And then we start to see the limitations of his game when he's not in a well-oiled system with guys who know where they're supposed to be, who um, you know can produce... Uh, offense in the flow of a game until the fourth quarter when that's when he's needed. I mean, the Clippers struggled uh, to generate offense throughout all the games. They they coasted on the sheer talent. And then towards the end of the games, they got tight. And it's funny because that that roster, you talk about Beverly, Harrell, and um, who else? Morris. Like, you know, these are all guys known as dogs. And they just seem like guys in the postseason you could trust. And you think Denver, who is Tory Craig and Jeremy Grant and Michael Porter, like those are the kind of dudes you see like not show up in a big postseason game. And the roles were completely flipped. Like I never would have thought that, you know, a guy like Lou Will would be missing open shots in the fourth quarter. Like it wasn't a, even a defensive thing with the Nuggets. It was they were missing open shots. They were just choking all together as a team. Um, so I don't know. Where where do you want to start with outside of Kawhi? What really went wrong with this Clippers team? Was it simply the role players was a team construction was a doc. I want to talk. I want to talk doc at the start because I think doc is a coach that maybe has a different reputation than his on court results have produced. Um, I'm not saying he's not a good coach. I think he is. I think he's a very good manager of egos and he clearly has gotten through to some very talented and some very mercurial teams over the years. Right. Starting with the champion Celtics in 08. The Celtics, though, were built on defense. Started with KG, and who was the lead assistant who basically crafted their defense? It was Tom Thibodeau. And I'm not saying that he deserves credit because he's done his stints as a head coach. He's had a lot of success in Chicago, not so much elsewhere in Minnesota. We'll see what happens now in New York. But since 08, Rivers has had a pretty long history of collapsing in the playoffs. Um, 
whether you talk about the 3-1 lead that they had up on Houston in 2015, whether you want to talk about the the 2014 where Chris Paul had that like game-killing, series-killing turnover against the Thunder, uh, when you want to talk about the fact that a team with Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Jordan and J.J. Redick all in their primes couldn't make it out of round two. And now this is the latest example. I think Doc has his guys and he doesn't know how to deviate based on game and situation. I'll give you a perfect example with this year's playoffs. Not a player of the same stature, but Myers Leonard started for the predominant number of games for the Heat this year. He was their starter center next to Bam at the four. Spolstra, you know, it's not like Myers Leonard's a guy you have to manage in that regard, but Spolstra was like, wait a second, Bam at center unlocks a whole different set of possibilities. You get as much shooting on the court. You don't sacrifice defense. You still have Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, et cetera. And all of a sudden Miami is taken off, right? Like we'll talk about them, but like being able to say what's working and what's not working very quickly and making those changes is what, in my opinion, outside of like the ego management makes a great coach or not. And it's something that I don't know that Doc does well because He's still playing Lou Williams, even though he's getting roasted. Ivov Zubac is significantly better in this series than Montrez Harrell was, even being able to guard um, Jokic and in general being like a positive presence on the court, especially defensively. It's not that you have to play him the whole game, but you got to know when when Harrell doesn't have it and when you bring back his minutes. Like I know he's going to win six men of the year or maybe he already won six men of the year. You just got to like pull that back. And I think he doesn't necessarily uh, respond as proactively as what you need from a coach uh, who can win the title. And that's my number one concern. You're spot on. And then the other thing, the other problem with Doc is his greatest strength is that he he can manage egos. He's a player's coach. He, you know, he's supposed to be a, a good coach when you have a lot of stars and like a lot of talent on your team. That also hurts him because a guy like Trez, who, like you said, sixth man of the year, they've been relying on him all season. I don't think he feels like he can pull Trez. Um, he's going to appease those guys. He's going to appease Lou Williams and keep them in longer than they should. Whereas any other coach realizes the game situation, realizes the matchup, and will will pull the hook on those guys. And Doc's never been a coach to radically change uh, his lineups, his rotations anything in the postseason he hasn't he makes minor tweaks along the edges and he gets by with with his really good players and so that was thoroughly exposed in this series um and those guys just i mean at some point you the other big problem with the clippers is obviously their offensive sets they didn't run anything really on offense they they relied a lot on Kawhi and pg to bail them out on lou will to bail them out a lot of possessions and Towards the end of the game, it was it was very predictable, very easy for Denver to kind of um, to guard them and to take away any kind of actions. They weren't running any kind of actions, really, any backside pick and roll, nothing. Um, and they became so predictable that it was, it was it became very obvious towards the end why this wasn't working. And then Kawhi, you know, you get one, two bad games for him or Paul George, and that's a wrap. Like if those guys just even have one great shooting night in one of those last few games, the series could have been done. But well, ultimately that's what they did. People kept saying, and it's like we just kept waiting for them to be, you know, locked in on both ends. Like they can't even play hard two quarters in a row. We're trying to expect them to string together two to four games in a row. Like 
even if they got past Denver, they would have been smashed by the Lakers because the one thing the Lakers have figured out is how to play hard every night and how to yep. play your role every night. And like you watching these like Clippers teams, I'm like, dude, you guys didn't win that title with Kawhi last year. That was just him. Like you don't yep. get credit for being a defending champion just because you signed Kawhi Leonard. And that's honestly the swagger that they played with. If there's one thing that the NBA has taught us year after year, you can't just slap together a team and just expect to win the title. It's very, very rare that that happens. You know, we talked about in the, what do we call it, the dime machine when we did the 07, 08 (laughs) season, we talked about how the Celtics did win that very first year. But what we also mentioned is they went to seven in rounds one and two. Either of those could have bounced one way and they're out. And suddenly we're talking about why did they trade the fifth pick for Ray Allen? Why did they bring all these guys, washed up guys together? You know, you saw it with the Heatles. Um, they got all the way to the finals, of course, much further than the Clippers. But still, they fell apart because part of, part of which is like they don't quite know how to play together yet. But yep. those teams were workers. A team with LeBron and Wade and Bosh are going to go to work. This team, who everyone has this like sense of entitlement, everyone has this sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm the biggest, baddest dude on the block. It's like, dude, Marcus Morris, you would probably be my first pick in a bar fight. That doesn't mean that you have the fucking cojones to hit a shot down four in the fourth quarter because he didn't. Um, Patrick Beverly, same thing. You can yap and you can jaw and you can act like the tough guy, but you have limitations as a basketball player that are going to get exposed in a series like this. Because on the flip side, what we always questioned about the Nuggets was their fire was actually their greatest strength because they just never – they could never be – bothered right Jokic and murray are two dudes who are you know they got they got a mean streak but at the same time they're also unflappable in a sense and i just i'm just disappointed and like you could put that on doc you could put that on the players i'm just very very disappointed in the demeanor and the 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 way the clippers approached this entire season like it was a foregone conclusion that it was going to be them and the lakers and then you know skill wins out at that point and that's just not how basketball works I mean, I think with all these super teams that have been put together, um, they all have struggles on offense. All of them. Like right. The Lakers have had some struggles. The Celtics had their struggles. The 2010-2011 Heat had struggles. What kept them um, like in the finals, what got them there, was a very high floor. Defensive intensity kept their floor high. Like All those teams make their bones on defense, if you think about it. Yeah. You think about, the, like you said, Tom Thibodeau. You think about the Spolsters, Heat, like all those teams. That's why everyone believed in this Clippers team. Even the no Warriors what, team. It was all unlocked team, by yeah. the by the death lineup defensively. Yeah, like no matter what your offensive struggles are, having that defensive intensity keeps you in every game, keeps you winning those close tight games. Um, and they didn't show that. And that's the most disappointing part because, look, you got Kawhi, Paul George. Every, all we talked about at the beginning of the season, the offseason was, oh, my God, how scary are they going to be? The wing defense, how long they are. Um, the switchability, et cetera. And then Jamal Murray goes off on you in game seven. And Jamal Murray, look, he's a very talented player, but there's no excuse for him in a game seven. Like guys, even Steph in game seven, who's primarily guarded by who? A combination of J.R. Smith, Smith, Kyrie Irving, right? But those guys brought enough intensity. And in in game seven, a guy like Steph is not going to be putting up 30 points, 35 points. It should have never happened. Jamal Murray got too many easy, and Jamal Murray had some hard buckets. Like he's talented, but it was too easy for him. It it does. It it doesn't even compute in my mind. Like all regular season, we were like, yeah, when they play hard, they can't be beat. 
No. They don't have to play hard all the time because they know they're good. Fine. Then we had this, obviously, this pandemic that created this, like, weird divide in the schedule. And, like, there's this huge gap. They come back. They don't look great. But we're like, okay, let the seeding games play out. Once the playoffs start, they're good. Then you go into the Mavericks series, and it's like, you know, 2-2 against an overmatched Mavericks team without Porzingis for most of the time. It's just the Luka show. They're still letting Lucas basically yeah. score at will, and it's, like, kind of confusing. But then it's like, oh, this is Luka's greatness, which it still is. Yeah. But – then, you know, they put the clamps on him, right? Kawhi, I remember in, I think, game mm-hmm. six, the close that game is a close game. He comes in, game's done in five minutes. And you're like, that's the Clippers. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's not, this is why it's so much more unbelievable than Milwaukee losing. Because Milwaukee walked into that Heat series and got smacked in the mouth from, from the first tip. These guys went up 3-1 and were up in every game that they had to close out. This is what makes no sense. This is why yeah. it's... It, to me, it, 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 we can talk scheme, we can talk Paul George, we can talk all this shit, but like, it it was purely a focus and a just attentiveness standpoint that they lost the series. And that's not to take anything away from the Nuggets. You know I'm Jokic's biggest fan, right? I fucking mm-hmm. love Nikola Jokic. Jamal Murray's a guy that I admitted to you in the Utah series, I was dead wrong about his ceiling and what he could bring. Um, but even Jamal Murray was getting scrapped early on. Yeah, and then like you said, what did he have in that in the second quarter in Game Seven? He had like twenty points or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, don't you have two all-world <laughs> wings defenders that are literally? This is why we picked you. Like, this is the sole reason. Um, and you have you played six games. There's nothing. It's not like Game One where like <laughs> you don't have the tape on them or you have you know you haven't figured it out. Like you've played six games. You know, you realize, you realize it matters, right? Like you have to win game seven. Like that's it. There's no more games after that. And they didn't seem to get that. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? Maybe, this is going to be such an obscure reference, but I just saw this movie. Um, you know, dodgeball, right? Yeah. They play in one of the qualifying rounds. I think Globo Jim, Jim plays skills that kills. Mm-hmm. And it's that team of like the the dudes, and they're just like all wearing like Fubu sweatsuits, yeah. and they're like the team seems more interested in dancing than playing, <laughs> and that's what the Clippers reminded me of. It's like they actually didn't want to be out on the floor; they just wanted to like chill and post up and be the Clippers and be like, "Yeah, we run LA." It's like, yeah, there's one thing that you have to do alongside the billboards and the advertisements and the commercials. It's you got to win. You got to win, and and we didn't even start it on Paul George, who <sighs> you know, might be already. Uh, he's already, I mean, I don't know if there's anything that's to be said because he's been roasted left and right by the internet, by Twitter. Um, the memes are all out there. Playoff P, way off P. Um, it's, but I, the one thing I do want to say about Paul George is, actually, I don't even know what to say about Paul George. Oh, well, like, so I, I, I was going to try to defend him, but the funniest thing I read on Twitter, actually, I think this came from Dragonfly Jones' podcast. One of the guys called, they said Paul George is the LeBron James. He's like the LeBron James of Chris Middleton's or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's, like, oh, and I was like, there's That's not good. a more accurate description than than that. But. So I actually pulled up his uh, his overall playoff numbers, like in the 13 games, and they're not good, and they don't even begin to describe how bad he actually was. Like, if you look at his overall numbers, it was 26-4, and four, shot 40% from the field, 33% from three, 90% from the line. That almost looks like he was okay. Yep. And he was a train wreck. 
Um, I mentioned this, I think, at the start of the playoffs, actually. He hasn't won a playoff series in 2000, since 2014 with the Pacers. Um, he, this is a guy who has a very elevated stance among, among the league's elite. Obviously, Kawhi recruited him to come play with him, right? LeBron he's, wanted him bad. LeBron, LeBron wanted him. Obviously, Russ wanted him to stay. Like He's thought of as one of the greats of the game. Last year with Oklahoma City, he finished third in MVP voting. Like That's no joke. If you go down and look at the active list of players who have finished third in, or better in MVP, it's not a very long list. And it's everyone that you would consider the top of you know today's game. And... You know, he mentioned the anxiety and the depression and sort of the general mental struggles early on in the bubble, but he also spoke of them almost in the past tense. This was in the Dallas series, because remember, mm-hmm. he was horrific in games two and three in Dallas. Yep. Um, and so you wonder, like, if he was on the open market this offseason, if he was a free agent this offseason, he would get a max deal, right? He's that good oh, of a player. 100%. Yeah. Right. So that's not for debate, but. When you think about his trade value, when you think about what he means to a team, if you're a team like, let's say, let's say the Wizards, because Beal could be a guy, Beal would actually have been perfect next to Kawhi, but let's just say Paul George, they called straight up Paul George for Beal. Now, if you were making your list of best players in the league, it's likely you have Paul George above Beal. Everyone in in any NBA circle would going into this season, but if you ask me that deal and I'm the Wizards, I'd say no. Yeah. Right? Like, 100%. And so how do you evaluate a guy who is as good as he is and as productive as, as he is, and then it's almost become like a yearly ritual where this happens come April, May, June, and in this case, August, September? I mean, it's he's on paper, he's the ideal player you can have on a team. He's right. long. He's a wing. He can shoot. He can score inside. He plays defense, elite defense. Like, that's all that you want from a player. So yeah. that's why it's he's so tantalizing, and he always somehow disappoints. But And he's had the tra- – I mean, like, for all the postseason failures, we still think of that Indiana series against LeBron in Game 7, and maybe, you know, we attribute some of his, his greatness still to that series, which is long gone, or, you know, that's so many years now past. Um, the reality is he hasn't done anything in the postseason the last four or five seasons. Uh, he hasn't been a factor. And at some point, you, that has to discount his uh, his value. But what do you do with him? Nothing, I, right? You I don't can, you think can't. you can do anything. Because like you said, like you're not going to be able to trade him for a guy like Beal even. You're not going to get better return for him. You gave up five first-round <laughs> picks. Um, and I know it's there's really a whole sunk. Look, and we went to Booth. We we know enough about the sunk cost fallacy, right? And just because yeah. you gave up the boat, a boatload of picks and things like that, you don't need to keep him. But at the same time, like this team, like people also forget that this team. And I know regular season is not the way to look at it, but when all of these guys were healthy and playing together, which wasn't that many games, maybe 15, 20 games in the season, they were dominant. They yeah. were like completely dominant. And I think they just need to evaluate what happened this postseason, you know, how they can correct it. But ultimately, the talent is still there. Like, it's not saying that Paul George is such garbage that they can't win next season. Um, yeah, no, I think I think you made a good point. It, we did go to Booth. That should be stated. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's true, right? Because at this point, it, it actually, and 
it's funny you mentioned the the LeBron of Chris Middleton because isn't this exactly what we said with Chris Middleton about the Bucks? I was like, you can't trade him because you're not going to get a guy as good as him, yep. and he's not good <laughs> enough to get anyone better than him. Yep. So you're in a very precarious situation where you just have to roll with it. I think if you're talking about maybe we this is how we transition to what the Clippers look like next year. I agree with you. They they basically should just run it back. Um, it's one season. You can't just slap together a team in one season and win a title, and if it doesn't work, just blow it all up. That being said, I think they do have to figure out like what the contingency plan is if this happens again with uh, with you know with George in the playoffs. It's like when you build your team around a great player like George, you don't necessarily have a lot of other resources, right? Like the whole point is to count on him to do what he's supposed to do. It's very similar to the Dodgers, um, throw a baseball reference at you, with the Dodgers with Clayton Kershaw, who is always the best pitcher in baseball or was for several years in a row and then would come to the playoffs and just completely shit the bed. Yeah. But they're paying him 30-plus million because he's the best pitcher in baseball. So what are you supposed to do? It's like you can't have a second guy that you only bring in for the playoffs, right? And and I think they're actually in a very similar position. And I, and I think, you know, their only hope at this point, because these guys are free agents next summer. So although we talk about, you know, it takes a while to win a title, the way the contracts are set up in today's day and age, it's you don't really have a lot. You have to almost be like a one and done factory like you're fucking Kentucky. Um, and they got one season to figure it out. If things go really poorly, there isn't it isn't crazy to think Kawhi would walk. Right. Um and so I think they have to just do it, but they got to figure out how do we create another option. They need playmakers. Um, they need yes. someone who can make plays like Reggie Jackson, Pat Bev. These guys, yeah. none of these guys can make plays. Yeah. Um, so I, they do need to make changes around the edges. I don't think the solution is going to be moving Paul George or uh, obviously not Kawhi. Um, it's going to have to be on the edges and, and I don't know what you do. I mean, like everyone on that roster should be treated as expendable. Honestly, do think, like who do you, think who do you want to stays? keep? Well, they already said Doc's job is, job is safe. Oh, they said okay, and I and I expected that. I don't. I mean, he's too popular and he's too well liked by Balmer. Yeah, I mean, the, you're you're right. There's a lot of expendable pieces on that team, but you also have to look like Patrick Beverly's owed eighteen. You know, sorry, twenty eight million of the next two years. Um. Zubach is under contract for three more years for a total of 25 million. Like Lou Will isn't expiring, and Marcus Morris and Montrose Harrell are they're two big free agents. So it actually works out against what they would probably hope for, which is they probably wanted, frankly, Lou Williams or Beverly to come off the book so they could yeah. actually use that excess space for a guard. Um, now they may end up having to use whatever room they have under the tax to go back and re-sign some of these guys because I don't think you could lose Harrell and Morris. Yeah. Because you just don't have room to go. I mean, like, you're not going to – aside from the mid-level exception and your, like, late draft pick, who are you going to really be able to – oh, they don't even have their draft pick. Um, aside from, you know, the mid-level exception, what? how else are you going to improve your team if you That's don't bring true. one of those guys back? That's true. You're, you're going to have to bring him back. You'll probably bring Trez back. I don't know about Morris. Morris is. I think they'll bring Trez back, but he also is looking for like a $15 million a year plus type payday. And but he's I not mean, a free agent this offseason, is he? He is. Uh... That's the problem. And to be honest, like 
Balmer doesn't care about luxury tax. The guys, I mean, he's by an order of magnitude the richest owner in professional sports, much less NBA. But it's less about what they're paying in luxury tax and more about is this the right team to pay luxury tax for? Yeah. Uh, I mean, or is there something else you should do? There'll be, I mean, I, there'll be guys in the free agent pool who, when it comes to the Clippers, Lakers, there's always guys in the bargain bin who you can get. I mean, the Lakers revive, like, look at their roster, all these crap veterans that they've signed, like the JaVale McGee's, Dwight Howard, Rondo, and they're getting value, valuable yeah. minutes out of them. That's um, true. When you're Clippers can get contender, someone. Yeah. You're a title contender, need, you're playing in LA, you're going to have your pick of the litter of any of the veteran men, men guys. Yeah, maybe you get Darren Carlson to come back, but he's not a good playmaker either. He's also. Uh, but see, the thing is, a lot of those guys may not work. Like you look at, you just mentioned the Lakers. What about what they tried the previous year with, like Michael Beasley and those dudes? And like some of those dudes don't work. Um, it doesn't. Yeah, but I mean, you need but with you one need to year try less. Something. You you have to be right. You only got a year. Yeah, but these are guys on the fringes, man. At the end of the day, like Kawhi and Paul George should be good enough to get you to the conference finals. It, it should be. In theory. In theory. Um, all right. Let's talk. Anything else on the Clippers? No, I, I think can't we've, believe we're putting this team to bed. I really cannot believe that we're – like, I still haven't really gotten over Yeah, and, and, you know, when people – there are a lot of people on Twitter and things like that who are like, oh, the Nuggets aren't getting enough credit. And maybe that's true, but the Clippers, like, like you said at the top, like, this is – monumental how they blew this and i think this is the lead story and it's i'll never like get out and and there's no excuses around the bubble like i'm already starting to hear some excuses come about the bubble and this and that and oh maybe it's giving certain teams a better advantage and look they were healthy every team like the nuggets were healthy and they just lost they just got outplayed so at the end of the day um it was it, just embarrassing. It is funny, though. We started by being like, oh, the bubble will normalize results a little bit because it takes away home court. So favored teams don't have as much of an advantage. Then we're like, nah, that ended up being bullshit. It ended up going the way we yeah. thought. And now we have a five seed in the East who's up 2-0 in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals. So who yeah. the hell knows? But then you have the Lakers who sort of just stormed through everyone. And they've been the one seed the whole season. And now they're sitting pretty in the, in the Conference Finals. So, yeah, so it's hard so to tell. So there's that. I mean, this will transition nicely into the the Celtics Heat because there's an argument that oh look, it seems like the Heat and Celtics, who are three and five respectively, or five and three, um, they're making it because you don't have to go on the road. Like Milwaukee is a historically good home team. The yeah. Heat are actually a really bad road team, and so if they played on a you know in a normal situation, Milwaukee might have won. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because there shouldn't be an asterisk on this. This is you strip away all of that, and then who ends up being the better team? It's Miami, and they exposed. They like you said, beat Milwaukee like uh, beat them up left and right from game one. So it wasn't fluky. You can't attribute it to not having home court or any of that. I think at the end of the day, we're seeing the better teams just win, or the more and not better teams necessarily, but just yeah. No, I think it's true, right? The more equipped and like to be yeah. honest, dude. Like in today's day and age, with everything that's going on in the world, like I don't even care if it was losing your advantage. Your your team is healthy. You're still yeah. playing basketball, right? It's still the same game. Like the rules haven't changed. Like yeah, it sucks you didn't have home court, and that's what you played all season for. But it's also that you were the one seed because you were the better team. Yeah, exactly. Um, consistently yeah. play. It's not like you had any more home games than the Heat did in the regular season. 
You had the same number of home and away games. You were the better team regardless of venue. So you should win, frankly. And, and, and like the more I think about it, and a lot of that has to do with how well they've executed the bubble in a way and how well the games have, have been produced and sort of played and like the quality. I don't even, and the fact that there's been, you know, knock on wood, but there's been really no coronavirus issues. I don't even consider this an asterisk at all. I would consider last year much more of an asterisk where Durant and Clay went down in the finals than anything that happened thus far this year. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is the most pure form of basketball we can possibly get. The fewest injuries, equal amount of rest across all teams. Yeah. So, yeah. The the every other day thing, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's a lot of people are just like, well, they don't have to travel, so it's fine. It's like, yeah, but – being tired is probably at least some portion related to actually playing in the NBA game, not just yeah. being on the flight. And people are just like ignoring that altogether. And yeah. it's like the playing every day, other day probably sucks. I know you can get back to your hotel room in 20 minutes, but it's probably still pretty tiring when the Nuggets have basically had their backs against the wall for the last two months. Yeah, that doesn't change. You're still going to be just as tired and even more so in some in some cases because – I don't know these games. Like, I feel like there are some instances where a team played, depending on how the weekend lined up with weekday, you play a pretty late weekday game, and then an early yeah. like afternoon Sunday or Saturday game, right? And it's even smaller that window. So, yeah, now at yeah. least we since we have just four teams left, which is wild to think about. Like, it feels like the bubble just started, and we've already <laughs> down from twenty-two to four. But yeah. now it's like everybody's in prime time, so it's a little bit easier. Um, and the Nuggets got an extra day of rest, so they could stagger the series. Yeah, yeah. How so about, now how, how about Lakers Nuggets game two going up against Sunday Night Football? Ugh. I mean, it's it's unfortunate for the NBA man because even today, like you've got Heat Celtics. A, a incredible game two, and it's bleeding into a week two Browns Bengals yeah. game. Which even I myself was like switching over the Browns. Yeah, Bengals game. I'm like, sure they like quadrupled the numbers of Heat. Celtics. Yeah, like it's they're they're. I mean, they can't win. Um, and we Clay like, Travis is probably in the biggest circle jerk of his life right now, watching the NBA ratings tonight. Oh yeah, Clippers Nuggets game six was right up against the 10 a.m. slot or one. PM Eastern slot of NFL games. Like, could you pick a worse time? There's so literally I, 10 other games competing. I was you. actually thinking about this. I don't know that they would have fared any better in any other slot because, first of all, 4 p.m., the reason they didn't do it is because that was the U.S. Open men's final, which is always 4 p.m. on Sunday. But even if you did, let's say the U.S. Open didn't didn't uh, happen that weekend, do you really think that they would have been able to outdraw Bucks Saints with Brady's debut? And then you say, okay, the nightcap. It's like the Cowboys and the L.A. Rams were playing. The Dallas Cowboys draw millions no matter what's going on. There's no way they would have beaten that. In fact, playing at 12 or 1 Eastern was actually maybe the most strategic move they could have made. Possibly. But, like, you're competing with 10. I mean, you're right. Those games, the primetime games, get all the eyeballs. But you're competing with, like, 10 other markets at 10 a.m. Yeah, like, that's true. It's like everyone in the country, they're going to be following their own team, whereas at least, like, I mean, who, I'm trying to think if the LA teams or Denver, no, the Broncos weren't playing early and the LA teams, I don't think, played at 10 a.m. But like, you're competing with your own teams from your own market. Like, Yeah, that's true. 
But they, like the Clippers, probably thought this was going to be a route, and they didn't care. They almost, like, buried it on purpose. But, all right, let's switch over to Celtics-Raptor. Sorry, Celtics-Heat, excuse me. So the Heat took a 2-0 lead today. Um, They were down big uh, in the first half, and I think early in the third quarter, they were down by as much as, I want to say, like 15 or 16. Um, And the the Celtics looked like they were firing on all cylinders, and suddenly they started chipping away at the lead. Bam was incredible. Uh, Goran Dragic was incredible. And I think, you know, ultimately, the Heat are showing you that no matter what happens in the course of a game, they're always going to be able to respond. And the game is never too short for them to make a run. And it's pretty unbelievable to watch that night in and night out. They're now 10-1 and in the playoffs, and they look in total control of the series. Dude, I cannot believe what happened with that game. Like, Boston had complete control in that first half. I mean, to be fair, Boston also shot lights out in that first half, so you knew it was a little bit uh, unsustainable. But the speed at which Miami closed that gap, and, of course, they moved. They went to that 2-3 zone, and a lot yep. of people were talking about, oh, the zone. and But it just completely stifled Boston. They looked all out of sorts, and... Jimmy Butler, man, I don't know what we were talking about him. I don't know what to say about him because clearly the stat line, he's not making that big of an impact in terms of a box score standpoint. But then at the end of the game, like every game, he's always making like three or four clutch plays, either on the defensive end or on the offensive end. And it's enough to put them over the top. Like every close game they're in, he's making a difference. And that kind of X factor is just... It's unreal, man. Like I, I can't, I can't believe Miami is this good. Like I just can't. I, I still don't understand how they're this good. And there's such an atypical team that could be a, a top contender. Not could be. They are a top contender to win the championship because their best player, Jimmy Butler, is not a traditional superstar, right? If you were like Jimmy, we need 30 from you tonight. It's not a guarantee that he can go get that. He's a little bit of an erratic shooter. He's a little bit of a hesitant shooter. Um, he makes his money at the line and getting guys involved. Then you have like this just hodgepodge of shooters and defenders and like all these dudes who are not quite cast offs, but between the fact that Bam and Hero were late lottery picks, which is, you know, not traditionally where you find stars. And then you have a bunch of guys who have been in a number of stops, whether that's Jay Crowder, whether that's Andre Guadala, whether that's Goran Dragic. And it really is like this motley crew that's, plays so fucking hard (laughs) part of the reason the two three zone worked against a team that can shoot as well as boston can is because they you know the 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 issue with zone is you end up getting sucked into the middle too much and you leave wide open shooters but they're so fast they're so athletic and they're so attentive that no matter what part of the court the ball is at or where it's at where it's going to swing back to there's always a guy sticking on the celtic shooter um, it leads to a bunch of bad threes from Marcus Smart, like, you know, Kemba Walker looking totally out of sorts. And you know, Jalen Brown's been kind of invisible in some ways in this series. I know he played pretty well in the first half, but he he he's disappeared more than I think I was prepared for, I'd say. And I think enough to give Celtics fans a little bit of pause about who he is as a as a main feature part of the team. Yeah, he hasn't been reliable enough. And and I think that's the problem with, with uh, Kemba had a good game today. At least he started off blistering hot. But none of these guys have, like Jalen, 
Kemba, they haven't been consistent enough. And I think no. that's where Gordon Hayward matters for this team. Look, Gordon Hayward is not the same guy he used to be in Utah, but he's another guy that kind of buffers. If, if, some of your, if two of your guys have a bad night, Gordon Hayward, if he's having a good night or making a couple of shots, makes a difference. And another wing who's kind of very switchable who can play alongside those guys. So, uh, but, they, you know, it's funny because like, the zone usually, like, after a while, good teams figure out how to break a zone, right? You, yeah. know, you play a zone for so long with an NBA team, especially with the amount of wings and shooters Boston they have enough guys who can make a shot. Yeah. You'd start to exploit that. But they were struggling so much. And, I mean, credit to Miami, the way they were flying around with that. It's zone crazy. The arms, You also the have length. a tendency to get lazy when you play in a zone. Um, and they didn't. And and I think for them on the offensive end, Drogic is just, dude, he is – he's been incredible. I think. Dude, he's been, he's been their, their – I want to say best player in the playoffs thus far. Yeah, I think in their postseason, he's been their best player. And like he's, every night, who's going to bring it? You can count on him. And you know, he was going mismatch hunting towards the end of that game. Like he's, they're trying to get like uh, Daniel Thies on him, and um, they were just letting him cook. And that's what allows them to go like Butler to kind of sit in the background and not score because Dragic has the ability to kind of go and create offense. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's been incredible, man. But that team is just so resilient, so well coached. And I I don't know. Like, I, I don't think that they – look, I'm not getting ahead of myself because they're up 2-0. But we've seen the bubble. We've seen teams yep. come back. It's too early to say that um, they'd win the series. But I watch a team like this, and I'm like, they can beat anyone. I really they think they can beat anyone. Yeah, I mean, by no means are they out of the woods here, right? Like, Boston can storm back. And honestly, the game two, in a way, this is going to sound crazy. I don't even know if this is going to make sense. But I felt game one was a bigger collapse from Boston than game two. Because game one, they had the control of the game later on in the game, like into the fourth quarter. And the fact that these guys were just pulling shots out of their ass felt like they were always going to hang on and eventually lose. And then they just kept making play after play, like chipping away. And suddenly they were, you know, they had like a five point lead at the end of the game. And like even the Jimmy Butler three from the corner felt like lucky as shit. And I was like, yeah. this is going to come back. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and he's been terrible from the corners this season. So and like some of the and ones that he was pulling off and like Tyler Hero pulling up and like all of it felt like very much like playing on borrowed time in a way. And eventually like Jason Tatum was going to come in and get get his shots because he looked awesome in game one. I thought game one was the one that should have won. Like game two, of course, you're up bigger than you were in game one, but the lead evaporated earlier yeah, in the game. In the third quarter. So. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I don't know. Like in both games, Boston had a very good chance of winning. And in both games, they probably should win. So in another world, maybe we're up 2-0. But this isn't similar to the Toronto series with that Norman Powell shot kind of bailed him out. Yeah. This is a much different. Or sorry, was it Ananobi? Oh, Ananobi. Oh, Ananobi. Yeah, this is a much different situation um, because Miami is playing much better than Boston over long stretches of time. Um, part of it is, like you said, the defense and just the way they're getting active hands. Part of it is Boston is is becoming. This is atypical of a Brad Stevens team, but they're becoming very like predictable offensively. Yeah. Um, it's like Jason Tatum isos, Kemba Walker over dribbling for 20 seconds, like Marcus Smart bad pull up threes. Like you can kind of predict where the shots are going to come from on any given possession. And if 
you and I can predict that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo can predict that. And they're just eating it up. And and this is something we said last week, but Bam is the equalizer where he doesn't give up. Like by playing him, you don't give up size, but you also don't give up any switchability. Um, yep. That's why he may be their most valuable player because of his versatility on defense and the fact that he's working Daniel Tias, yeah. Tice. Um, yeah, and I always say his name wrong, Tice. Yeah, on both ends of the floor, and and like it's of course you could expect that, but I don't know that they accounted for it to the amount that it's played out so far. No, he's been a revelation, and it's exactly what you say. He's you can leave him on the floor in any lineup. They go small, you can leave him. They go big, you can leave him, and that flexibility matters. Um, not that that matters with Boston, but you know when you go up against LA. Uh, the fact that he can stay on the floor against those guys is is big. And, um, of course, when you have Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis or JaVale McGee and Anthony Davis, we'll see what they do. But um, Bam's, been, Bam's been amazing for, for the Heat. And he had a great game today. Obviously, the big block in game one. Um, and can I'm, we talk I, about I just, that block for a second? Yeah. That, I mean, like, in terms of just the sheer physics of it, this dude is coming full speed, trying to yam it on his head to tie the game at the end, of, like three seconds left. How did he? How did he do that? That takes a lot of strength to reject that shot. Um, it's not just wrist strength; it's like your whole damn arm needs to be jacked, and like the whole yeah. thing is working. And I, I, you know, watching it in real time, I was convinced Tatum was dunking that. Like when he went up, it's like, oh, he's about to put Bam on a poster. And that was one of the cleanest, or at least he gets hacked like crazy. But that was right. the cleanest block I've ever yeah. seen. Well, because just... like he like he goes by Jimmy, and I'm like, yo, how did he just get by yeah. him that quickly? And then I was like, okay, yeah, exactly. There's gonna be two shots, tie up the game, and here we go. And then my God, it was yeah, something else. I mean, the playoffs have generated a lot of like amazing highlight worthy plays at the end. Um, you talk about the Kawhi middle finger block, this one, like, well, I think games are generally closer and so it produces more, um, yep. obviously like more noteworthy moments. Um, but you know, one thing I want to say is like, when I watch the Celtics play, um, I had an argument with a buddy about, of, of mine where I was kind of defending Kemba a little bit and he was like, you could basically replace Kemba with anybody. Like, why are they paying $40 million to this guy who ultimately is a he's a body and i was like that seems a little harsh like he <laughs> yeah. was an all-star this year he was a starter and like all this stuff but sometimes you do watch him down the stretch and his size and like he can't get separation um he can't really get around guys like maybe like he used to and i really wonder um if if it's a limitation that just doesn't manifest because during the regular season, because nobody's game planning, but the second you do something like trap or, you know, put a bigger guy on him, he's, he's almost immediately neutralized. Uh, and I think that's actually a, a, a pretty significant concern for them moving forward, not just this season, but, you know, going forward because their core is essentially Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker and, and uh, Jason Tatum. That's who they committed to. And, Tatum looks every bit as like a future MVP, but I'm not sure that Kemba's necessarily the right piece around him. Yeah, no, I because Tatum, I mean Kemba for how good he's been in Charlotte and even in, in Boston the regular season, um, 
the way he creates space is that step back. But that step back, I mean, he hits it and he's done it in clutch moments. You can't rely on that. Uh, like he needs to be able to get to the rim and score yeah. like that as well. And he's not doing that enough consistently. And he's having trouble finishing at the rim. And a guy like, you know, undersized guards, you know, you think about how they, they make a name for themselves in the league. If you're a guy like Allen Iverson, you're always getting to the rim right. and getting to the line. Kemba's not known as a guy who's getting to the free throw line 10, 12 times a game. Yeah. Or you're a Dame Lillard where you're just lights out from five feet beyond the arc. And so you have to respect that shot. And once a guy plays up that higher on you, you can you have a lot more space to work with. Especially yeah, if someone a ton of room behind him. Yeah. Kemba is in the weird kind of space in between where he's a good enough shooter, but not like an elite outside shooter. And he's not elite at the finishing at the rim. So you're right. Like these are the problems that come up in the postseason when defenses can key in on him. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they do. Like it's yeah. another instance where like you're not getting a better guy if you get rid of him. Yeah. You kind of already committed to him. It's like, um, yeah, it's not that they can't win a title with him, right? Because Tatum still has multiple levels to continue to go up, right? Like, um, we did we did the we had the conversation I think two or three two weeks ago maybe where we talked about who we'd start a franchise with and everyone gave a shit because we put Giannis third. Yeah, uh, I don't think I would change that answer. By the way, I think I still go Luca Tatum. Um, wow. Okay. I, I I just like I look at Jason Tatum and I look at everything in his bag, and I look at his size and how much better he's gotten year over year. Um, that sideways step back was started by Harden, but when you do it and you're six nine like Tatum is, it's literally unguardable. I'm actually curious if a guy like Kevin Durant comes back next season with that type of move, but. When you're stepping back to the side mm-hmm. and you have that kind of length and you could step back directly or you could blow by him, he's got the full arsenal offensively. And then you throw in the fact that he's actually a very, very good defensive player. He's checked Jimmy Butler uh, throughout the series. And I know Butler's had some big shots in both games, but he's played Butler pretty well, uh, all things considered. So when you're able to expend that much energy on defense while being your team's number one option offensively and you're 22 years old, I hate the Celtics so much. You know this, but yeah, Jason Tatum is really special, like five-time first-team All-NBA, ten-time first-team All-NBA type special when it's all said and done. He is, and it's because he's shown the knack on the defense that's taken his ceiling like – raised it considerably higher because um, even in Toronto series, he was locking up their wings and even guys like Siakam were having trouble getting by him. So uh, he's, he's really special. He is going to be the best player for that Celtics team. The problem with Kemba though, like Kemba can be a secondary guy, third guy. I think maybe we're being a little harsh on him, but um, they, they don't have enough offense behind Tatum right now. Um, yeah. Jalen Brown's not that guy. I don't think he is. It needs to be Kemba. And Kemba has not been consistent enough. Even today, like he was amazing in the first half and then tailed off significantly in the second half. And that's right. like, you can't rely on him as your secondary scorer. That's putting a ceiling on how good that team's going to be. So he needs to step it up. If they're going to win this series, like it can't just be the Tatum show because this team's not good enough to win with the like, Tatum's still not at that point where he can single handedly carry this team. And Miami's also too deep for that to matter, yeah. right? Like he, yeah. Tatum can only. Any guy can only play that well for stretches or carry the scoring burden for that stretches. But then, you know, Jalen Brown, right now they're counting on Marcus Smart, like pull up threes yeah. I mean, as a source of offense. <laughs> and it worked. Hero game one. That's the reason they were 
uh, you know, scoring so much. You know, and it worked in, in stretches against Toronto. Um, I think there's that one fourth quarter where he hit like five threes. And yeah. it was almost the worst thing that could happen because that's not his game. And yep. he's now pushed into a role that's way above his pay grade. Yep. Um, Jalen Brown is an elite role player. But if you're expecting him to be able to create his own shot and to go give you 25 and, you know, make a bunch of like in between shots. Like that's the thing about Tatum's game. That's so special is like, if he doesn't get to the rim or he doesn't have the three, his floater, his mid range has, has, you know, improved dramatically. Jalen doesn't have that yet. No, it's like catch and shoot corner threes or I'm at the rim on cuts, but I can't be given the ball at the top of the key and, and I can't do anything with it. Um, and one of the things that you're seeing in these playoffs and you consistently see like shot creation is the number one attribute that I think you'd look for in a, in a star today. Um, because ultimately when defenses get smarter, there's no like play that you can run. There's no set back screen, cut, curl, whatever. You yeah. have to be able to get your own look or get somebody a look. And right now, Tatum's really the only guy that can do it because Walker is just dribbling for 20 seconds and then putting up a bad fadeaway. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for them to win the series, it's not that they have to do much different. They've obviously been in position to win both games one and two. So yeah. it's a matter of, like, being able to keep your foot on the gas and then having someone else step up consistently. Because you know Tatum's going to bring it, but who else is going to be that guy? Uh I don't know what Hayward's availability is going to be. I think today was the first day he was upgraded beyond out. He was doubtful. So I don't know if that means game three, game four, but you almost can't really count on him for anything. You just have to think of it as gravy. Um, But, uh, you know. But, you know, I trust Brad Stevens to make adjustments. Um, This team is too talented, too well coached. They'll come back. It's 2-0 right now, but they'll make this a series. Yeah. but I, you know, the Heat are just. If I'm if I'm a Miami Heat fan, or if I'm I'm feeling good about myself because they haven't. I mean, offensively they've been decent. Like Duncan Robinson hit some big shots today. Tyler Hero wasn't anything great, but they're finding a way to get. It. And Jimmy Butler wasn't anything great, and they still yeah. win. Like there's no, there hasn't been a pattern that always leads them to winning. Like Jimmy Butler may have a good game, may have a bad game. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson are on and off. Like yeah, and this team is ten and one in the postseason. So. Yeah, and the the thing is, this isn't supposed to be the year. It was supposed to be next summer. They have max cap space. They're trying to pursue Giannis, um, and that was supposed to be the team. This was a transition year, absolutely. They were in the lottery last year. Like they picked Tyler Hero, like thirteenth, I think. Uh, to to now think of them as two games away from the NBA Finals because they made one free agent acquisition, a guy who's now playing on his fourth team, and a lot of people had written off. You could, I mean, like you, you were on it early, but in general, the media can say all they want about how the good they thought the Heat were going to be. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, this was not part of the forecast. I mean, by even I didn't expect them to be this good. But, like, but yeah. I mean, like Jay Crowder, like I, I don't understand how a guy like Jay Crowder cannot be good on a LeBron team, where literally you have a role carved out for your type of that type of player, and then, but on this team, he's just lights out, like he. I mean, he was on yeah. Memphis too, and he was he was all right before this. But the my getting... one worry—that's my one worry—is that he has been too lights out. Oh, I mean, and... he's not like he's been like scoring twenty points, and they've been winning because of that. It's but, but his he's... green light in his head is always yeah. on, and that's it my is. concern. 
It's like Duncan Robinson's quick. waiting there for an open three, and Jay Crowder's like, nah, I got this. Pulls up real quick. Yeah. yeah. That's my one concern is like I could see that rear it because we've seen it in Boston. We've seen it in Cleveland. Um, that could rear its ugly head at any given point, but so far it hasn't. Um, all right, let's touch on the Lakers Nuggets preview here. They're, they're going to – so this is Thursday night, the recording. They're going to tip tomorrow game one. I almost don't want to say anything because we're going to be like just flagrantly wrong. But yeah. What are some of the things that you're looking at as far as like what like obviously we know Lakers are favored. Um, so let's start there. What makes you feel very sure that the Lakers are going to put them away? And what do you think the Nuggets have to do to give themselves a shot in the series? Um, because the Lakers strength is scoring in the paint and the Nuggets are really bad at defending the paint. But like that's yeah. just that, literally it's a tale. If you look at all the metrics the Lakers' greatest strength is the Nuggets' greatest weakness. And then you look at the Nuggets' greatest strength, which is Jokic, and you know, and now you're play, 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 uh, sorry, playing a team with great interior defense in AD, and AD who's rangy and can step out and guard Jokic and disrupt you know, that high-post offense that they run. Um, and then the Lakers are just disciplined on defense, where a lot of the, the cuts and actions Denver runs that sometimes caught the Clippers off guard, I don't think... I think the Lakers will be much more disciplined guarding it. So, you know, the question is, who's going to guard Jamal Murray? Who's going to guard? The same questions were asked about the Lakers against who's going to guard Harden and Westbrook. It doesn't matter. They've got enough. The team defense concept for them yeah. is good enough to neutralize those guys. So I think it ultimately comes down to Anthony Davis in the paint is just going to be a monster, both on offense and defense. And it's going to be hard for Denver to beat that. So I think I think obviously the Lakers are favored. I mean, if I had to make a prediction right now, I'd probably say Lakers in six. I don't know if you would say anything. I'd say Lakers in six. Okay. So, and we're giving Denver some respect here because Houston and Portland, of course, only won one game against uh, the Lakers. And yeah, right now Denver is pretty bad on defense, all things considered. Like for yeah. a team that's in the place that they're in, and it starts with Jokic, who's not, you know, he's better than I think you would think when you, like, look at him. But he's also not, you know, Giannis or Anthony Davis or Bam out of bio back there. And so that combined with the fact that Jamal Murray is not a good defender and Michael Porter Jr., who's going to play minutes, is a horrific defender. They have a lot of warts. Uh, we've seen the Paul Millsap, LeBron James thing mercifully <laughs> in years past. Like, I don't know that I want to see it that much more, but... What I would say is in the past series, you mentioned like, yeah, we talked who's going to guard these like little guards for the the team that's playing the Lakers are going to go off. The only difference here is Jamal Murray is supported by a player even better than him. You know what I mean? Who plays a different position in those other two series, their best players were the guards and they had no answer for LeBron and they had no answer for AD in both series. Those guys went bananas. I'm not saying that Tory Craig and uh, you know Gary Harris or or, or some of these dudes, J- Jeremy Grant, are going to somehow be able to check LeBron, but I do think they are more equipped um, than Portland was. Probably not more than Houston was with Covington and Tucker yeah. and those guys. But Houston was so fucking shallow. They had six players, yeah. so I think they they had one strategy, and when it didn't work, it was like a house of cards. It just fell mm-hmm. apart. And with with Denver, they 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 go deeper. Um, they have 
a lot of guys who can make shots and a lot of guys who can defend who Mike Malone trusts in playoff games. Like he played them in the series. Like Mason Plumley is really good off the bench. Michael Porter Jr. has even more experience now. Um, Gary Harris has started actually playing pretty well. Uh, you have Craig, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, uh, Monty Morris. Like they have a, they go nine or ten deep, and they'll play nine or ten in the playoffs, and trust nine or ten to actually play well. And I think that's a big uh, differentiator from them and maybe the Lakers or other teams that the Lakers have played, who are very much like top heavy. So the avenue for the Lakers to win is they're the better team. LeBron's the best player. Anthony Davis is the second best player. They're going to roll, right? Like this, the Cinderella story ends now. The avenue for the Nuggets is can AD really impact Jokic, who's bigger than him, who moves at his own pace? It's not like he has this vertical game that AD can challenge. It's not like he has this, like, you know, low post brute force the way like Embiid does. Like he's going to be in the mid post, he's going to be at the top of the key. They're going to set him up in different places. And what if Jokic beyond the court encourages Vogel to play McGee more? Then you have McGee on Jokic and he's going to put him in the torture chamber. So, yeah, yeah. You know, what's what's the what's the counter move that Frank Vogel is going to make when when the Nuggets are rolling with a big lineup? Does he stick with what worked against Houston or does he go back to what they had done previously with, you know, McGee or Howard at the five and Davis at the four? I mean, I think that'll be fascinating. I think McGee and Howard are going to get a lot more run in this series, but I don't know if the end of game situations. Like the thing with ADs, he's not Gobert. Gobert is a, a stiff in the center of the post who's good at rim protection, but like you said, Jokic, that's not the game he plays. AD is a little bit is more rangy. I think he's a smarter defender. So you know he's, you know, one of the problems that the um, Clippers faced is Jokic would kind of make you know he'd he'd make a move in the paint. They'd play a Trez or someone would step on him, and then there'd be a backdoor cut that just goes unnoticed. Jokic dumps it off or kicks it out. Yeah, I, I think Anthony Davis and the Lakers will be better at handling that. They're also um, way more disciplined than fucking. They're way more Montre- disciplined now. Montrez Harrell and those guys. Now the thing is, they the, they played the Rockets, who are very much ISO. They don't run as much pick and rolls as a lot of other teams, so it's a lot easier to defend them. Denver's a different story. They're going to be running a lot of pick and roll action. They got Gobert playing out of the high post, and they haven't seen anything like that in the postseason yet. Um, they've seen. And so I think that will pose a little bit of challenges. And I wouldn't be surprised if they drop game one. I mean, it's a classic. I've been saying this even before they lost to the Blazers and Rockets. Like, LeBron often gives up game one. He doesn't play his hardest. It's a chess game for him. He's okay going down 1-0. He knows he can come back. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Denver jumps out to a 1-0 lead because it's going to be a feel-out period for Lakers, too. But the Nuggets also petitioned to start the series down 3-1. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> maybe they both just – both teams just don't do anything. And it's like, like the ball stays at center court. Yeah. <laughs> They're both – LeBron's trying to play 4-D chess. Meanwhile, Jokic is like, I'm not paying attention to a game five. It's like, what's that? When an unstoppable force meets, meets an uh, immovable object. Only in reverse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think – I think it's going to be fun. I think a lot of people are just like, oh, Lakers are going to walk over the Nuggets. I don't know that that's true because I, don't I think, think many people are saying that, though. This is one of those things. It's like the washed king. Like many people weren't saying that either, but somehow that became what the everyone. Oh, come on. Oh, you were dude. saying that. You want me to pull up the, the WhatsApp thread when you and Kush were calling him a washed king? If I, I was I, like, he's I washed and he looks groomed like he <laughs> recently took a shower. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I, look, I, I think a lot of people are actually the trendy thing is picking Lakers in six, which I mean, we both which is, that. of course, immediately what we did. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I, I do think that the Lakers will win this. Like, I, it's not being disrespectful to the Nuggets. It's just when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like that, they've been so good. Yeah. Together. And I just don't see how it's, anything's going to change with Denver. Like, they're not I don't see stop. any conceivable way for Denver to win this series other than Michael Porter Jr. just decimating his doppelganger, Kyle Kuzma, on the other end. Yeah. I mean, Murray and, might go, if Murray goes nuclear and Jokic just, they have no answer for him, it's possible, but it's, they'd win in seven, if anything. And I wouldn't bank on LeBron. LeBron will not lose a game seven. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Part of the reason that, well, he has in the past, but part of the reason yeah, that how long um, it's been a while though since he's lost a game seven. That's true. I don't know when the last time he lost a game seven was, but part of the Boston. reason. Oh yeah, wait in two thousand ten. Didn't they lose in six? They lost in seven. That was Paul Pierce uh, and LeBron the duel. They remember LeBron mm-hmm. scored like forty nine. That was the oh, last wait. time I think he lost in Game Seven. You can check me on that, but that uh, ten years ago. Yeah. Well, Murray hasn't lost a Game Seven since last May. So <laughs> the thing about the thing about it is like this is what I'm, I'm having problems with. Like even if Murray goes ballistic, it like how ballistic? I mean, he can't score fifty a game. So like how ballistic could he possibly go? Not to mention the Lakers aren't going to let him get fifty a game. No, they won't. I know, I know. But my point is he'll need to have like just two of these games where he's unreal and then the other games you have a bunch of other guys getting hot. Yeah. Like I, I don't see the path. You're right. I, it's very hard to paint a path. But, you know, it's hard to paint a path against the Clippers too and here we are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So you're going six. I, I guess I'll go six as well. Um, and everyone in the world is going six. We'll see what happens. Obviously, by next week, I think we... I think they would have played four games by then, so we'll have a much better yeah, things perspective. Things will be very different. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll have a much better perspective. Like, if the Nuggets have swept by then, we're just going to shut down the podcast. Um, but any any final thought? Oh, the Kings. Yeah. Yeah, the you Kings finally new... got their GM. They signed Monty McNair. Um, a lot of the Kings fans wanted Sachin Gupta. Who, shout out. Uh, yeah, shout out another Indian. Um, you know, when I first found out he was in the running... I swear to God, my first reaction was, oh, God, this is going to be like Vivek clearly just going for another brown guy. Hey, it's about time we get some hookups from our own people. I know. But then I do my research. He invented the trade machine and he's, you know. He was Maury's guy. uh, Sachin Gupta? Yeah. He worked for Maury and then he worked for Hinky, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he worked for Hinky. He's the one who fleeced the Kings in the trade, actually. The... The Ron, where we, we cleared was that up the cap Nick Stauskas trade. The, no, no, the we traded a first round pick to clear up cap space, and we signed Rondo Bellinelli. Um, that was the offer sheet for Wes Matthews. I think so. Yeah, that might have been the, so. Anyways, well, we signed Monty McNair, who's a Maury disciple. Um, he's been with the Rockets since 2007, and kind of grew up under that that organization. Big into analytics, a guy who's spoken at Sloan conferences. Um, I'm excited, man. But at this, you know, I want to, I don't want to get too excited because we've been here before. Like we hired Pete D'Alessandro, uh, who was under Masai and was known as an analytics guy. And he came and just fucked everything up. So <laughs> I, 
on paper, it's a great hire. I'm excited. But with the Kings, man, you never know. And didn't you hire Isaiah, uh, Joe Dumars as chief strategist? Yeah, and, and of course the Kings have to make it messy. They can't keep it a simple, clean thing. He's hired as a chief strategy officer reporting to Vivek separately. And so you already know there's going to be some friction that happens. Because um, it's not like he's going to be an only a business guy. He's a basketball Hall of Famer. You know, like he's they say have... he's like he's going to touch a little bit of everything. But he, he doesn't know. Like They said business, real estate, basketball. <laughs> like, what is he going to talk about real estate? <laughs> Here, here's the problem. Trade Marvin Bagley for the naming rights to the stadium here. Here's the problem, right? You have a guy like Joe Dumars who's ex-player, the opposite of the analytics guy. And when Monty McNair wants to make a decision, but then Joe Dumars gets into the vaccine and is like, I don't know if that's the right thing. And he's kind of like the Vladi type who's like, you know, more of an eye test guy thinking about players in a very different lens. Um, that's when you start to get into trouble. So, but... But at least I'm glad we got Monty McNair. Um, I think things are looking up. And I hope right. he kind of retools this team completely around De'Aaron Fox. The only thing I'll leave you with is I had a daydream this morning when I was showering, actually, <laughs> about if I was the Kings GM and oh. what I would do. And if they asked me in my interview, like, okay, like we have all these players, and like, then what would I say at my press conference? The vote of confidence for Buddy Heald two seconds before I traded him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know where they're going to go from here. They they have one blue chipper, and they have a bunch of question marks around him. So we'll see what happens. All the pieces are movable. All the contracts are movable. All the guys have some value. You move everything but De'Aaron Fox, and then you tank for 2021 draft, and then you go from there. Would you trade Heald and? And uh, Harry Giles for Paul George. No. Wow. There it, you it, go. No, it has nothing Ladies to do with Paul George. Ladies and gentlemen, there is Paul George. Where are we going to go with Paul George? What, like, De'Aaron Fox first and Paul round, George? First round playoff exit. That's I'd what actually like does. to be in the playoffs. It's been 13 years. So maybe if, you had, if you had George and Fox and, and a healthy Bagley, you would have to think that could get you into eight seed. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I say that, but at the moment we get George, I would have ordered his jersey already. So yeah. <laughs> he would have been wearing like three Paul George jerseys on the next podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll see what happens. Uh, fun times. It's always fun to like think of a new era and expect great things, and then in six <laughs> months you can come but check back and be mad at everything. Yeah, I mean, you done. you've recently gone through this, right? So yes, absolutely. I got John Wall throwing up gang signs <laughs> at parties in New York and looking at staring at three more years, 130 million. So looking forward to it. <laughs> all right so that's it for us this week um please rate review and subscribe to thick and thin hoops uh sorry thick and thin on all major podcast platforms please email us at thick and thin hoops at gmail.com i can't talk it's been an hour <laughs> and a half we will talk to you next week